0: Welcome to the Investor Shed Podcast with Nick Beveridge, the ultimate source for all things investing and beyond. For free tools, tips, and tricks, go to NorthIdahoRei.com. Today's episode features Sean Dolan. Sean is a seasoned investor who started with a HELOC on his personal residence and over time turned it into 131 rentals. Stay tuned. Sean Dolan, thank you so much for being here. Appreciate yeah.
1: it. Thanks, Nick. Pleasure to be here.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, locally around here, you're a pretty big deal. You've got... Uh, don't know if I'm a big deal <laughs> or not, but... <laughs> you are. Okay. You you attracted one of the biggest crowds or RIA meeting that I ever had. I think we had over 50 people. It was like a... Um, it was a record-breaking attendance at the time. Um, so, you must have followers. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, um, yeah, if you don't mind, um, just telling your, your story a little bit, how you got into real estate and how you went from 20 to 131. Yeah, be happy to. Yeah. Well, we started investing
1: about 18 years ago. Um, I always kind of had the bug, saw that that is a way to grow wealth, and read about every real estate investing book I could find. Uh-huh.
0: Do you have my, any favorite books?
1: Um, Mr. Keller's book, The Real Estate Millionaire, is a great one. Oh, nice. Yeah. I'm my, a fan of that one. My current favorite book is The One Thing hmm I've read that three or four times
0: so you're a Keller fan
1: oh he did a wonderful job on those books yeah especially the one thing that's definitely one of my favorite books yeah anyway my wife told me you know kind of get off the uh, do something or stop re- buying all these books so uh-huh. we went out and we got a $60,000 home equity line of credit on her house and Bought a dumpy duplex in Spokane on the lower South Hill. Right, and of course, and were you
0: li- you were living in Idaho at the time? Yeah, right. Yeah. Okay.
1: And okay. We chose that because properties were a lot cheaper in Spokane and the tax rates were a lot less compared to the Idaho side of the line. Yeah. Similar duplexes were going for about two hundred and fifty thousand a piece at the time oh, in wow. Coeur d'alene And we were picking them up in Spokane for eighty-five thousand a piece.
0: So, about what year was this? Do you remember? The first
1: ones were like two thousand five, two thousand six. Okay. You know, gotcha. just kind of during the big run up last yeah. time.
0: Yeah, just uh, yeah, one of the peaks of the markets. Yeah, almost. And
1: as you run into, if you're buying rental property, the previous sellers just had bodies in there that really weren't performing, and they, of course they don't disclose that. So yeah. when you get into it, you had to go through the eviction process, get them out, and then clean it up and uh, new new carpet, new paint. And re-rented it at higher rents. It waited a year or so, and then had it reappraised and pulled the equity out, and just kept rolling it till we got up to 20 doors. I guess bigger pockets calls that the Burr method. Now it's kind of before right. they
0: were around. They coined the term. They even coined the term. It's been out there and forever. It's a popular term now. <laughs> yeah. So, so your first one was a duplex that you bought for about 60? or so? uh, It was 85. 85.
1: Okay. Yep. It was two gotcha. bedroom, one bath each side. Uh-huh. I think he was renting each side for about 450 a month. Yeah. yeah. That's when the tenants that he had were actually paying the rent. And yeah. we bumped it up to 550 a month after we put new carpet and paint in it. And when we sold them a couple of years ago, we sold them for 169000 for that particular duplex. And the rents were at 800 per side. Great. So we, we did quite well on it.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, if we can go back a little bit. When you first bought it, though, were you nervous at all? being your first investment I, we were, or were you pretty we well were. prepared or okay
1: Yeah, you know, no matter how much you read the first one's always kind of got you real nervous and you're, you're always scared to make that first step mm-hmm. uh, once you do one deal it's easier to do another deal and it gets easier and easier as you go on and yeah within a couple of years we were up to 20 doors
0: did you self-manage all your properties we did
1: uh, the stuff we had in spokane we self-managed okay and we during this particular mar- market run-up, we decided, well, we're going to sell at the peak once in our lives. So we okay. sold all of them and then 1031 exchanged them into the Midwest and grew that 20 doors to 100 doors. And the income from that yeah. replaced my day job and then some. So we decided it was time to take an early retirement <laughs> and freed up our retirement funds. We self-directed that yeah. and a self-directed 401k and then bought 34 more doors with that. So we were at 134 doors up until a couple weeks ago when we sold three houses.
0: Right. Yeah. So I, I definitely want to get more into the Midwest purchasing. Um, but if we can go back real quick, when you had the 20 doors in Spokane and you were self-managing, you also had another full-time job, right? Yes. Okay. Yes. How, how were you able to manage all those properties? Were you using some sort of software? Um, like, what just was it like self managing m- 20 properties when Microsoft
1: you also- Excel recording okay. expenses uh, initially we did all the bookkeeping ourselves mm-hmm. and you know when the tenants would call after work I'd go f- fix toilets uh, you know broken window I'd get a window to replace that and you know paid the kids to go mow the lawns every weekend hauled them in the lawnmowers over so they could mow the lawns yeah and just maintained and managed all collected the rents myself the whole bit and it became real apparent at 20 doors that doing my own bookkeeping really wasn't my jam yeah. <laughs> so i hired a bookkeeper at that point and that made life a lot better right yeah And before that we were constantly filing extensions and then i'd spend the whole summer in my home office uh, processing receipts and creating excel spreadsheets from it and to give it to my accountant i thought this isn't much fun so it's much better hiring a bookkeeper when you get to a certain level it frees your time up quite a oh, bit
0: i couldn't agree more i i could not do what i can do now without an assistant helping where i can just drop receipts in a rain basket and i just make little notes on them and everything's goes to its proper category of property and yeah. Yeah, that's it's, that's one of the tips that easier. I recommend <laughs>
1: to people. When you first start, you'd have to do a lot of it yourself because the finite margins are slim. Mm-hmm. But as you get more properties, you know, certainly as you get to 15 or more, hire a bookkeeper. It gives you yeah. back your life.
0: So, um, okay. So 2005-ish, you start buying properties. You do, use the birth strategy to get up to 20 doors. Yep. And, um, so 10, 12 years later is when you decide, um, it's time to sell these and move to the Midwest.
1: Yeah. I was involved what? in uh, RIA in Spokane. Yeah. And there were people that were investing in Kansas city that kept saying, Sean, you got to come to Kansas city. There's cheap deals and good returns on investments. And I uh, pestered me for about a year and I decided, uh-huh. well, I'll do some research Started finding different markets in the Midwest. Kansas City was a little higher priced than some of them, and uh, we chose, you know, the Southern Illinois market after flying out and looking at a bunch of places and looking at the returns on investment, and bought a first package of about eighteen houses from another investor. Wow.
0: Okay. Did did you buy this package before you sold your Spokane properties, or did you sell? No. no. Okay.
1: Yeah, once we had the first of the Spokane properties under contract to sell, we started looking in earnest and got this first package under contract. Gotcha. So we could pull off the 1031 with the timeframes that they tie you
0: to. Gotcha, okay, so you use the 1031. Mm-hmm. Do you mind just elaborating a little bit on that for the people that don't know what a 1031 is? Yeah, um, 1031 exchange allows you to defer paying
1: capital gains tax and depreciation recapture tax on a property that you sell. You have to use a qualified 1031 Exchange intermediary to handle the funds. You can't touch those. So when the at closing the check goes to them into a trust account instead of to you. And on the back end when you close, they pay your part to the the closing title company. So they kind of step into your shoes, so to speak. Right. And some of the requirements that you have to worry about is You have 45 days from the date that you close to identify your replacement properties. And if one falls out, it can cause a little bit of heart palpitations. And I did have that happen on one of them where the seller backed out two days before we were supposed to close and my clock ran out.
0: Yeah, because you can only identify so many that you might purchase, what, like three or so, right? Uh, You can
1: actually purchase quite a few.
0: Or, I mean, identify properties, right? Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, you, it depends on the amount that, that you're on... moving of okay. money. Um, we went from you know one building to multiple buildings mm-hmm. in some cases. And in other later exchanges, when we sold a lot of the duplexes, we went from multiple buildings to a larger apartment complex. It just has to be handled. And when you have the multiples, the clock starts on the close of the sale of the first one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it can cause some heart palpitations if you can't find something or if your seller backs out. Um, Once you identify those and submit your list, you have 180 days from the date of your first sale close to close on them. That's usually not the problem. It's usually that identification process and trying to find something. So sometimes you get pushed into buying stuff you wouldn't otherwise buy because of the clocks. Yeah.
0: Do, were you able to figure out exactly approximately how much um, in taxes that you were able... Your tax liability that you are able to defer to another date? Oh, uh, It was hundreds of thousands of dollars. Okay. So instead of having to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars, it's worth doing an exchange. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Because what is the fee for an exchange? A thousand bucks?
1: Oh, less. Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah, our biggest fee and with multiple closings was like 900.
0: Okay. So... Worth looking into. It is. And it's also worth
1: shopping different exchange intermediaries because they have different fee structures.
0: Mm -hmm. Great. So um, here we are two years later. Yeah. You went from 20 to 131.
1: Yeah, now I'm at 131.
0: Um, You don't work anymore at your day job anymore, right? Correct. Okay. Okay congratulations by the way oh nice
1: (laughs) not having to fight the alarm clock in the morning and
0: yeah Uh, so about about how long did it take you um to do the whole purchasing process of okay sold the 20 and then all of a sudden I'm i'm up over 100 units here in the midwest how long did that whole process take the whole process took us about a year okay so it took us a year give or take
1: a month to go from twenty doors to a hundred and thirty four doors
0: at the time. And I imagine you were probably traveling quite a bit, right, to pull all this off. Or were you relying every
1: three months? I'd fly over there and check stuff out. Okay.
0: And when during the purchasing process did you leave your job at that time, or were you still working your job?
1: No, I was still working my job.
0: Oh wow, well. okay, so that's a busy year.
1: It was. <laughs>
0: How's life now? Nice. <laughs> yeah. Is it, um, are, so um, portfolio, it's in another state. Um, is it harder to manage or not as hard? Because now, now you, you have a property manager, but there's so many units. I'm sure you still have to be involved quite a bit, right?
1: Right. What a lot of people think is when you have a property manager that you don't have to do anything, that isn't necessarily the case. <laughs> you have to manage the manager. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Make sure they're doing what you want them to do and uh, kind of adjust their course as needs be. So you know we still talk to folks on that end several times a week., um, okay. just adjusting their course and giving input. Okay, so, so things don't spiral out in a direction we don't want it to go. Right.
0: So how many hours a week would you say that takes of your time at this point?
1: Uh, at this time, because of our current property manager structure, they're having us pay the invoices instead of doing the trust account approach. Mm-hmm. I spend about a day a week, both on phone calls and then uh, processing invoices. Gotcha. Not too bad. Yeah, okay. We're trying to get that part adjusted so I don't have to process the invoices and it'll drop down to maybe an
0: hour a week. Have you considered hiring anybody to just take that place once, you know, a part-time employee?
1: I have. I have. You mm-hmm. we haven't made that leap yet, but we've certainly considered that and we've been talking about it.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, so the 131 that you have now, I uh, you know you said you sold off of a couple, and I think they were in a different city that you weren't fond of, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah. They were in Carbondale, Illinois and weren't performing like
0: the others, and
1: yeah. another investor approached us and wanted them, so we sold them and carried the note back.
0: Oh, perfect. Um. And for those that don't know what he's saying there, carry the note back as in you did seller financing for the buyer that purchased those properties, right? Right,
1: right. So over okay. the term of the note, we'll profit about $100,000 on the deal.
0: Gotcha. Now, if what I remember about your presentation a few months ago, um, that I really loved what you did, you got some extremely conservative notes on all these um, deals that you bought. Like, you're not highly leveraged.
1: No, no. Um, but
0: they all have mortgages, right? Not all of them. No.
1: We own okay. a number of them outright. Okay. Um, of the ones that we have mortgages, they're usually the, the medium to larger multifamily places. Um, and we're, we have at least 40% equity on all of those and went with a 15 year amortization. Mm-hmm. And the thought was, when I hit seventy, everything will be paid off, and I'll get a nice hundred thousand a year bump. Right on.
0: Versus still on track for that, are, or do you are you speeding it up with the excess cash flow?
1: We're still on track with that. The mm-hmm. thought is, once we get the management smoothed out a little bit more, then we could speed it up. Gotcha.
0: Um, so, at, without estate investments, what are what are some of the biggest challenges that you're running into that you could never have anticipated?
1: Well, there's uh, a couple of them. You know, one's making sure the property managers doing what you expect of them. You know, a lot of times when you first get them, they make a lot of promises and they seem like they're doing a good job for the first few months and then they start sliding and not really performing. Uh, the other one is on the uh, maintenance folks and the contractors that are hired by the property manager. You know, a lot of times if you don't have someone that's used to managing contractors, you know, they'll try to to skate and overcharge you for stuff and we really watch that closely right uh, we had one guy that the property manager hired between uh, turns to do some maintenance work on it uh, met with the guy i was a little concerned about the weekly bills i was getting and said how much more time do you have he was oh only three days and we'd been paying him weekly mm-hmm. uh, three days came and went and then he sent me a bill for ten thousand bucks unexpectedly so we fired him. <laughs>
0: okay. Yeah. So it was that your biggest horror story or do you have a good one for us? That's the biggest horror story. Oh, okay.
1: It was just managing the contractors <laughs> and the maintenance people, making sure they don't overcharge you and actually are doing what they're supposed to be doing.
0: Gotcha. Are there any, like, really great things that came out of this that you really didn't anticipate would happen? A big thing was being
1: able to quit my my day job and spend more time with my wife. She had had some health problems over the last few years and that was important for us. Um, Also, we picked up some really nice properties. and Our plan is to pass those on to our children when we pass away and give them a a pretty good leg up and we've got some pretty nice apartment complexes that they'll inherit. And it's the beautiful be. part of that is they get it at a stepped-up basis, so those capital gains and depreciation taxes that we deferred go away.
0: They do, yeah. So if, if, you, if you miss that, so a 1031 exchange, when you pass it on to your kids and you die, the, the, you're not really, while you're alive, you still owe those taxes, right?
1: Yes. If you, you just defer the them to another property. You're
0: yeah. just pushing them out, pushing them out, pushing them out. You pass away. Your kids don't inherit that debt, It just, or the, the IRS debt. It just goes away.
1: And that's the, a beautiful thing of real estate. That's mm-hmm. why a lot of wealthy people use real estate for wealth transfer.
0: Yeah. Awesome. Um, are you working on anything locally?
1: Not at the moment. Mostly been visiting with other starting investors, giving them advice. And mm-hmm. I met with a fellow last night that was just starting and wanted advice on how to to get his first place, so we chatted for a couple hours and gave him some ideas and direction. Do you
0: have any uh, good recommendations for people out there that are just getting started? What what they could do to get their first investment property?
1: Yeah, one of the approaches that folks that don't have a lot of money that want to get started uh, that you start seeing a lot of is uh, bigger pockets calls it house hacking, you know, where they buy a, a small multifamily and move into half of it, and have the tenants pay most of the mortgage for the whole building, and essentially live rent free, and then they're able to save more money and move on to the next one. Uh, The beautiful thing of that is with the FHA program, then they can get into these for 5% down, and occupy it, do some work on it, you know, force some appreciation, and then if they want to have it reappraised and refinance it down the road and get a conventional loan and get rid of that private mortgage insurance. And that's mm-hmm. the advice I gave the fellow last night.
0: Yeah, some solid advice. Mm-hmm. Any advice on what what not to do as a real estate investor?
1: You, you hear a lot of the gurus tell you, you know, it's all based on the numbers. You don't need to look at it. I disagree with that. There's a lot of really creative picture takers that can post pictures online that make things look wonderful. And you show up in person, and it's like, eh. Must have been a really old picture. <laughs> um, oh yeah. not look the same.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, we have a we have a real estate photography company right now, and it's um, I mean, this morning editor is in there editing out dog poop out of the yard, and you know, it, it. I mean, we're they're paid to make the pictures look as best as they can online. But oh yeah, yeah. Um, and it's but yeah, you're right. It's just uh, you never know what you're actually going to get until you physically check it out.
1: Yeah, even pictures if are say-
0: always going to be deceiving because they have to be. To get traffic <laughs> yeah. yeah and
1: even if you send someone to look at it for you say you're investing out of state their idea of a great place might be different than yours and they may not look at the same things that you look at you know it's great to have someone to trust but when you show up and you relied on someone else and you look at it it's like that's going to be expensive to fix you know, something that they may not have even noticed
0: right all right so what's the, uh, what's the plan moving forward? Are you planning on buying any more units or are you just going to um, just let the clock do the work now?
1: Well, for our existing units, we're going to let the clock do the work um, and focus on paying them off. Uh, moving forward personally, uh, some other investor friends of I and I are talking about getting into doing some real estate syndication on bigger projects.
0: Oh, okay. Would you also be talking about like a similar area?
1: No, no, we'll look nationwide.
0: Nationwide, okay. Great. Um, Anything else that you want to um, give advice for the new people that are just checking this out? and um, Let's say for financing. Um, Let's say they don't qualify for an FHA loan. Is there anything that they can still do if they find a great deal?
1: One of the things I always advise people to do is shop banks because banks have different appetites at different times based on what their balance sheets are. So a no from one bank, it might not be because of you. It might might be because of the bank's financial position that they don't want any more debt at that point. Oh. Um, so go ahead and shop them. Not only that, you can get different interest rates and get them to compete against each other and cut their rates a little bit if they really want the deal. Mm-hmm. And we would put together a binder and walk it around to the different banks on properties that we were financing or refinancing that had, you know, the two years tax returns, the profit and loss, the personal financial statement, details about the property and some of the financials on it and pass it out to them and then follow up. And you'd always get two or three that would want to do the deal. You might get several no's, but that's just because of where the bank was or its current financial picture and uh, we always got pretty good deals and rates that way from the banks Mm -hmm. on the the financing part you know if you're just starting out and maybe you don't qualify for FHA but you're into the flipping part you know finding private money lenders or hard money loans um, start out small and certainly, if you're doing flipping, don't over-improve the property for the neighborhood. I've seen that mistake a lot. You know, they watch a lot of the stuff on HDTV and, and think that they have to put quartz countertops in something that might be a, a low-income neighborhood. Yeah. And that won't help the, uh, the appraisal.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I am curious about something. Um, when you first started off real estate investing, uh, you mentioned you got a HELOC on your home. So yes. the purchase that you made was pretty much it was a, the the down payment or at least would have been uh, a loan from the equity of your house, personal yes, house that you were in. Um, so the the then getting to twenty units, did much more of it come out of your own pockets or was it all based off the 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 burr strategy and it constantly all rolling? It was based
1: off the burr strategy and rolling equity.
0: Okay, so and then what you have today when I mean. When it's all paid off, what's what's that portfolio going to be worth?
1: Uh, today's dollars, about four and a half million.
0: Four and a half million.
1: That's today's yeah. dollar. Um, the, and it
0: started with a sixty thousand dollar loan. That's where it started, right? Yeah, it sixty thousand started... dollar loan from the equity of your house. And when you bought your personal house, how much money did you put down?
1: Uh, the if you house that we took the equity out. We put 20% down to start. It lived in it about 10 years before we pulled the $60,000 HELOC out of it. Okay. So we always pretty conservative, always kept at least 20% equity in properties as we were rolling it. You know, the underwriting criteria has changed now. So a non owner occupied, they at least want 25% down. Mm -hmm. You know, it used to be if you had that 20% equity, you could avoid the private mortgage insurance, and they were usually happy to do that. And they used to put uh, second mortgages on investment properties pretty readily with the yeah. current underwriting. That's a lot tougher to do.
0: Gotcha. I think it's pretty fascinating. I mean, it, it just started with, you just bought your own personal residence and you leveraged it a little bit. Not too crazy. And then you did it again and again and again. And it all just rolled into a $4.5 million portfolio that, you can, that will be paid off within 15 years.
1: Yeah, and the beauty is, is as you're buying real estate, you can negotiate better deals on stuff and get instant equity that way.
0: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: the last 35 doors we bought, we paid cash for it because it was out of a self-directed retirement account. And I just had the annual evaluation done and the current value is 400000 more than we paid for them. <laughs> Not, Not bad. too bad in a year, right?
0: Not too bad. <laughs> so, what um, what kind of cash flow does that spit out? Which um, one?
1: Those thirty five doors? All of it. Uh, it. Depends on the month and how people are paying and vacancy rates. Right. It fluctuates a little bit. Uh, you know, gross receipts vary anywhere from thirty five to fifty five thousand a month. Okay. And then we're paying expenses off of that.
0: Gotcha. And and is that um and that's before debt service?
1: It's before debt service and any other expenses. Yeah. Wow.
0: All right. Well, that's not bad. So, assuming we don't even have any more rent increases or appreciation in the next fifteen years, um, you think you'll survive on thirty-five grand a month?
1: Well, that's not what <laughs> I take out of it. Uh, well, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, assuming they get paid off and everything. Yeah, we'll be fine. You'll be okay. Yeah. They, the beauty of the strategy that we adopted is so many of the people that I worked with, you know, they were saving for their four hundred one k and had a little pension because we worked for a power company, and, you know, they were going to rely on social security and that and and pray that they outlived their money. Yeah. Because they're chewing down their assets because they're in mutual funds. You know, my approach, I can insure the asset, so if it catches fire or a tornado hits it and it goes away, I get paid. Yeah. I get monthly income off of it forever mm-hmm. until I sell it. So I, I'm never dwindling down the value of my retirement portfolio. And it's paying me as much as I was making at my day job just from the retirement portfolio part. So yeah. it's a win-win. Win-win-win. And most people are <laughs> worrying about running out of money. And just about the time that they start sweating at age 70, we'll get a nice $100,000 a year bump because all the mortgage will be paid off at that point.
0: It's got to feel good. It does. Well, good work. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if anyone's told you that yet. I'm sure they have, but I'm impressed. Um, I think everybody aspires to do what you're doing someday. And um, thanks for sharing your story. Anything you want to add?
1: Um, one of the things you hear from the gurus is that real estates get rich quick. You know, my path is more, you know, steady and focused, and taking a long-term view on it. And I think that works better for me. You know, the, the folks that go for the huge scores simultaneously, you know, trying to make, you know, multiple hundred thousand dollars a year. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't for them. But if mm-hmm. you use the clock and plan for the long term, you know, real estate's pretty forgiving in the long term.
0: Yeah, and you can do the math in advance.
1: You can. You, you can, can make
0: your decisions based off what's in the Excel sheet, not just a guess. <laughs> and, yeah,
1: and when the recession hit, my wife was panicking a little bit because the values went down because everybody was liquidating. And I said, "Well, you don't lose till you sell, so let's just hold yeah. on to it." And tenants kept paying, so
0: did your cash flow go down as well when the market went down or did it stay relatively stable? The first current?
1: winter it did because I had some tenants that thought, well, economy's bad, I'll stop paying rent. So oh, okay. we had to, that first winter out of 20, we had six vacancies and that kind of hurt, but it still covered mm-hmm. the mortgages and we had our job and it was, it worked out. It worked out. But once we got past that, we were able to get them refilled and then the the cash flow stayed
0: pretty consistent. Gotta be glad you didn't sell when everybody else was. Oh no, <laughs> yeah,
1: absolutely. It worked out really well for us.
0: Yeah. All right. Thanks again for your time. I appreciate you doing this. Oh, my pleasure, Nick. Thank you very much. see you around. Yep. All right. Have a good one. Thanks for tuning in to the Investor Shed Podcast. Please like the video and subscribe to the channel for instant access to all future episodes. If you or someone you know has investing experience or stories to share, reach out to us in the comments or via email.